Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Welcome everyone to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour and this is Series 5, Session 11 and it's really great to be here with you this evening. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals and the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and it's my delight to be chairing tonight's session um, and as many of you will know these sessions were developed a while ago at the, the onset of the pandemic really to provide some continuing professional education for midwives, for student midwives, for anybody in the maternity services, and also for anyone who wanted to become midwife um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was really to make sure midwives could have that feeling of connection and linking up with, with each other, as well as the topic under discussion. Just to let you know, these are all accessible through Matflix, so if you miss anything or you have to rush off and make a cup of tea, you can get the, the whole presentation at a later point, but you won't want to miss it. So sit yourself comfortably with a cup of tea and, and join us now. I'm joined this evening by the wonderful Amy Brown, you can see, and we'll be going, going to be talking about COVID mums and COVID babies. And anyone who's heard Amy before will know it's going to be a very fast paced and very exciting presentation so I'm really looking forward to that but before we start I always get the, our guest to come up with a little moment of the week so I'm putting Amy on the spot now to ask her for her moment of the week. <laughs> yeah this took us some time to, for me to think earlier but I've decided <laughs> my moment of the week and I'm actually going to show you some of my moment of the week is packing envelopes for my new book that is coming out I'm going to drop them on the floor now, next week so I've packed around 150 envelopes ready to get the books in them to send out when hopefully you'll have copies by the end of the week whoa and this this is the life and and an academic here the <laughs> excitement and the drama that's fantastic it must be a huge feeling of achievement to know you've got that underway and when you put those books in those envelopes the excitement will be mounting and i know when they <laughs> end up on on people's um, doormats, that's going to be more exciting for people. Yeah. The excitement might wear off on envelope, you know, 86 <laughs> when I've actually got to put them all in on Friday. <laughs> you might need extra cups of tea for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that. Now, just before we go on to, to Amy doing her session, as always, I want to just send some good wishes and love and healing thoughts to anyone who's experiencing COVID or long COVID, or even if they've just had the booster and they're feeling generally rough, um, love and, and healing thoughts, because it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible and a difficult time. And still we're losing people and very precious people. And we can't forget that. So carry on taking care of yourselves, carry on wearing your masks and washing your hands and all the things we're doing. And hopefully other people will get the idea and keep on going. And um, also, we know the NHS is un under incredible pressure at the moment. Um, and people are having to work really hard. 
not as if they don't work hard all the time. This is even more hard because obviously people, there are people off sick and if they're not off sick with COVID, um, they might have the horrible cold that's going around that seems, to, well, even the prime minister seems to have, um, and it's making people very poorly. So midwives having to take a little bit more and students also at this time. So thank you to all of you for all that you're doing. Thank you also to anyone who's doing vaccinating or boosting or anything like that, because that's also keeping everything going and making us safe. Fantastic. Stay together and look after yourselves. That's what I say now. Now, so coming, I kind of from that, because we've been very aware, and if you're any of you who are tweeters will know there's a lot of discussion underway at the moment because of the stress and strains of being in the midwifery and the maternity services is very hard. And people are feeling like there's not enough midwives. We're not being replaced properly as, as people are leaving or retiring. And there's a big vigil and a march for midwives on Sunday. And I know that there's information on the web page about this. So do have a look about getting information, because even if you can't get to your local um, vigil and march, you can you can do something like light a candle or just tweet if you're a tweeter or Instagram if you're an Instagrammer and think about midwives and, and send positive thoughts to all the midwives out there. OK, second uh, thing to, to just remind people is there's a two day global midwifery conference, which is being provided by our lovely partners, all for maternity and a leader on the 19th and 20th of November, all online. And it's all accessible, very reasonable um, fee. It's very, very cheap. And it does mean you can get the recorded um, sessions. So it's worth going and registering for that. You can also get tax relief on it. If you didn't know, for any CPD you do, you can claim some of it back, not the whole lot, on your tax form. We maybe ought to have something on money at some point on one of these sessions. That's a thought for, for the future. Okay, this week it's also Maternity Support Workers Week. I know there's a lot of celebrations going on. And, of course, whenever there's maternity staff and midwives around, there's going to be tea parties and food and that sort of celebration. So enjoy the week from that point of view if you can. That'd be great. Um, okay, other news. There's a new chief midwife of Scotland, Justine Craig. Justine Craig, I haven't pronounced that correctly. Sorry, Justine. Um, and so this is very good news for um, Scottish midwifery. Well done. Um, also, today is World Prematurity Day. So there's been quite a lot in the in the news and certainly on social media about little tiny premature babies. And I think my I won't say it's my moment of the day, but one of the tweets of the day that really touched my heart was a grown up young, young woman on being tweeted about who'd been a tiny, tiny premature baby. And you just think those that family and that child have been through so much. And it's just so heartwarming to think about that now. So let's you know think about those little little fighting babies and their parents who have to fight so hard for them. Uh, Embrace have put out another a perinatal mortality surveillance report. And that's, again, I have to say now on your list of resources, the most up to date one for November 2021. So that's useful to see. Um, and I, I'm still going through my nurturing maternity stuff. And I have another book, but I'm going to tell you about that next time.
There's another book I've just had through the post, which I'm very excited to read. So I'll tell you about that at a later point. So have a look at the resources page for any resources and references for tonight's uh, session. And of course, tonight we're going to have a discussion about the impact of COVID-19 on mothers, on babies, on families and on the maternity services for the last really almost two years now. And I think what I've found over the, even over the last few months is it's kind of difficult sometimes to remember how bad it was because we've kind of got used to the restrictions. We've got used to some of the things that are difficult to cope with. And I think it's really important that we remember and remember that there are restrictions still in place that are still impacting on, on families. And so I'm, that's why I'm really so pleased, delighted, in fact, to introduce Amy Brown, who is well known to many of you, who is Professor of Maternal and Child Public Health, Swansea University. She's based in the Department of Public Health um, in the UK, in Swansea, where she leads the MSc in Child Public Health. She's got a background in psychology and has published over 60 papers exploring psychological, cultural and societal influences on breastfeeding and introducing solids. Um, all her research has really sought to understand why and how we can shift our perception of how babies are fed away from an individual mothering issue to a much wider public health problem with societal level solutions and she's published loads of books um, I've got two of them here there we are we have breastfeeding uncovered most excellent there and the positive breastfeeding book there Ooh, I don't think I've got it quite connected Ooh. there we are both are excellent but of course she's got a new book out this uh, this feels like a bit of a talk show but only it's much much better than that so her newest book, COVID Babies, is out on the 24th of November, which is why Amy's doing all those envelopes just now. Available all good book sales or direct from Amy herself. And you could get it in a nice little bluey envelope. How delicious would that be? <laughs> and she's going to show you. <laughs> Fabulous. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us. And the screen is now yours. Just a couple of things before I start. This really is going to be a whistle-stop tour of everything that has affected this issue. So there will be things I won't be able to include and it will be so much bigger. But I just wanted to draw on some of the key issues of how pregnant and um, new families have really been affected by the different restrictions and by just the general anxiety that we've all had over the last couple of years. And linked to that, and obviously very central to that, is how those who care for new families as well have been affected. So the midwives, the health visitors, the doulas, the breastfeeding counsellors, everyone who's been trying to support those families in a completely different way. The second thing, just before I begin, um, in the introduction there, Sue very much talked about me as a psychologist. I'm talking about this from the perspective of how all the restrictions and the changes and the anxieties impacted upon new, new parents and those who care for them. I don't at any time feel it's my place to judge whether restrictions should be put in place, you know, measures around the virus. I'm not a epidemiologist I'm not a health professional I'm not a virologist but what I do is spend a lot of time talking to parents and seeing what they're going through 
And that is what led me to write the book, COVID Babies. We'd done some research back at the start of the pandemic, so oh gosh, almost 18 months ago now, about new mothers' experiences of um, breastfeeding their baby um, during sort of April, May last year. And that highlighted that there are all sorts of issues going on. And then linked to that, we've been doing some student projects and student work around birth and pregnancy and experiences there. And through my social media, I've been talking to so many parents and it's just clear how affected they have been and how affected many of them carry on feeling because this hasn't gone away totally. We know that, but in terms of restrictions, it hasn't gone away for everybody but also those who are sort of emerging from those early baby months are really starting to realise just how much they have been affected by it. So I, I can't remember who was talking um, about the quote. I think it was one of the reports, the babies in lockdown report, talked about how this was always going to be a long-term issue because even when hopefully COVID is under control, we're still going to be left with those experiences. So it's thinking about that. So... I could go on all evening. I think Sue might get a, a, a little <laughs> bit um, twitchy if I do. So I'm going to try and pack this into about 20 minutes-ish. I know I've got 30, but, you know, giving myself wiggle room there. And two main things I want to talk about. The first is the impact of the anxiety of being pregnant during this time. And looking back, I don't think there are many of us who haven't been anxious or overwhelmed or stressed during the last 18 months, two years. But the level of anxiety and trauma that many pregnant women in particular were feeling, particularly when there were all these debates in the media about whether they were at risk or not. And now you've got articles flying about trying to encourage um, vaccination, but at the same time causing a lot of anxiety. We know the media really played with all our emotions. They really, we know the media tries to make stories scare us and the impact of that left so many pregnant women anxious and some of the statistics are showing that at least 50 percent of women in some studies were showing um, clinical levels of anxiety during pregnancy where you'd usually expect it to be about 10 to 15 percent so the same with postnatal depression which i'll come back to in a bit but um, mental health issues including stress insomnia depression anxiety in, in pregnancy were about three times as high and that's bad enough in, in terms of a, a woman's well-being, the whole family's well-being, worrying about her and the baby. But there were also cases where that anxiety was so strong that we've seen cases in the earlier embrace reports where women avoided care. They were so scared about going out and seeing a health professional or attending hospital appointments they were so scared of the virus that they basically didn't access antenatal care at all in some cases with some um, absolutely catastrophic issues going on. The, the stillbirth rate has risen around the world. And one of the reasons why it's been attributed is that the anxiety about seeking care when something is wrong. So we know across the general population that um, visits to A&E at the start of the pandemic completely plummeted. 
that hardly anybody was going relatively. And the same with um, maternity services, that maternity services across the UK and other countries were reporting that they were seeing far fewer women coming in to report things like bleeding or movement slowing. So in cases where they would have usually sought care, they were too worried to do so. And in some cases, that has been attributed to an increase in stillbirth. So one of the key messages around this is just ensuring that when we have public health messages about the importance of staying safe around a virus, it's also emphasising that we really must emphasise the importance of antenatal care too, and that women shouldn't have been in a situation where they were so scared that they, they felt that they couldn't seek the support they needed for themselves and their baby. So that's the one side of things. And the other side of things has been in terms of the impact of service restrictions upon families. And this has happened around the world. If, if you go to the research literature now, there are hundreds of studies from all different countries the US, Canada, Australia, um, a lot coming out from Italy, particularly when they were in a very severe situation 18 months ago, the impact of different services being stopped for um, or reduced for, for pregnancy and birth and then postnatal services as well. So restrictions around um, who could attend antenatal appointments, so women having to attend on their own, women having to go into hospital on their own when they were in labour in the first place and their partner not being allowed to join until later and then not allowed to stay with them afterwards. There was a, a very, very distressing paper that came out of Italy that was particularly focusing on women who were diagnosed with COVID-19 right at the start of the pandemic when they were pregnant. And the paper in itself is, is just heartbreaking to read because women talked about going into hospital for an antenatal appointment um, where they were tested for COVID and they received the news that they were positive and they were taking it away to essentially a, a secure COVID facility for, for pregnant women. And they had to remain there until they were no longer positive or often until they, they'd given birth. So they'd literally left the house in the morning and not come back and they their partner wasn't allowed to visit obviously no one could come in and the lasting stress on that in in terms of birth trauma is is just I just can't imagine it um it's, it's almost like everything we know about really good care for um pregnant and birthing families and new parents had so many restrictions put on it that of course we we're trying to stop the spread of a virus and I'm not going to argue with that in any way but the knock-on impact upon well-being, we're going to see the implications of that for a long time. And the But Not Maternity campaign was really central then from last summer onwards. It's still fighting some cases and some restrictions because, of course, we saw the situation then when restrictions around social distancing started to lift for many parts of the population you know you could go to your restaurant with six people um, and you can go and watch a football game and now you can go clubbing but in in some circumstances you know you um could go clubbing with your doula but you couldn't go and give birth with your doula because they weren't allowed into the hospital um, so it's just really been emphasizing that a lot of the restrictions took a long time to lift and it had a real impact upon pregnant women in particular. 
This was one of the papers that was published. So it was published um, last summer, I believe, where they'd done a survey of all the maternity units in the UK and asked whether there had been any reduction or changes in services. And of course, the vast majority reported that yes, there had been some major changes. Big switch was obviously to doing as much as possible over the telephone or video rather than face-to-face, -face, and it's not the same thing. Um, there was a, a, there's a report of a maternal death in one of the Embrace reports because a consultation was done over video call and the person doing it didn't actually realise that the woman was pregnant at the time because obviously she had the screen up here and she didn't mention it in that appointment um, and that was implicated in the death. Um, but we know also that there were so many restrictions. So even things like water birth or home birth was restricted. And of course, we know we know why it was happening, because there was so much pressure on maternity services. It was because there were fewer staff. There was more cleaning. There was more social distancing going on, which all took time. But then the impact on that upon families' experiences of birth and their mental health. And you have women who were... Um, broadly affected in terms of then increased anxiety and birth trauma but it, it got to a situation where so many women were reporting that restrictions were being put in place that weren't necessary so this was a really useful paper that came out um, towards the start of the pandemic and thankfully it did in, in some cases lead to changes but what was happening at the start was that a lot of um, mothers and babies were being separated if the mother or the baby had symptoms of covid and the world health organization very quickly tried to put out a statement to say that even if a mother had COVID, then because um, the, the, the risk was broadly very, very low to babies, thankfully, um, that she should be kept with her baby so she could establish breastfeeding because we knew then that breast milk contained antibodies and we knew that it would help to protect the baby. But there were still so many cases of babies being taken away. And again, it was in that um, paper from Italy where, and again, it is it's so distressing to read about sometimes, but there was a um, talking to a study with mothers on the maternity ward. So they were being kept in after the birth. And when the babies were born, they routinely tested them for, for COVID. And if the baby was um, COVID positive, somebody would literally walk in and take the baby away from the mother and take them to the neonatal care unit where she wasn't allowed to see them. So the mothers were accounting the stress of it happening to them from, from someone just walking in and taking their baby away but also that trauma of seeing it happen to other people. So seeing it happen to the woman that you just made friends with and her baby was taken away and having to try and console her with all the social distancing going on. There were some really, really awful stories despite the evidence that they should have been kept together. And we know um, from a UK perspective that there were real restrictions on a lot of visiting for neonatal care. So we know best practices that mother and baby should be treated as a dyad. You know, it's really, really important, um, particularly for breastfeeding, but also for the bonding, the soothing of the baby. It's so important to, for mother and baby to be kept together as much as possible when the baby is in neonatal care. But there were, again, there were so many cases in the UK and other countries of 
mothers having their visits restricted to neonatal care or even being told that they couldn't go in. And of course, that has such an impact psychologically. In our research that we, uh, we did with breastfeeding mothers, you know, the, the mothers who had had their babies taken into neonatal care and had their visits restricted, their breastfeeding rates just plummeted because of course they were so stressed, they weren't able to hold their baby. And it was despite this evidence that the risks of the babies were so low, it was just this precautions, even though they weren't kind of seeing the opposite side. So um, the impact of depression and anxiety in the separation from their baby. We started then seeing so many different cases popping up and stories um, in the news. I think some of the most traumatic ones are around women who go in, had to go in for an antenatal scan alone. Um, they were told their partner couldn't be with them and then they heard the news that they'd miscarried and they had to recount that over the phone to their partner. Um, others had to go and have treatment straight away and of course their partner couldn't come in and visit all these partners sitting in the car parks trying to support over a phone and it just the, the psychological impact is going to last a long time. Um, only 23% of NH Trust letting birth partners stay for the whole of labour. That was from um, the start of, um, towards the start of the pandemic. Most could come in towards the end, but of course, the way we know that labour goes, some were missing it. Remember a, a story of a, a, a man in the, the news who had to drop his pregnant partner at the door, was told to go home, so he went all the way home, suddenly got a call to say that um, she was about to give birth and to get here as quickly as possible, so he ran back to the ward. But of course, when he got to the ward, he was boiling hot from running and set off the temperature check, so he wasn't allowed in, even though it was from running. And it, it was the way that these restrictions were just put in place without thinking sometimes in those ways. So babies still being separated, um, mothers with COVID not being allowed to hold their baby despite those um, World Health Organization recommendations. We had babies being born in car parks, which had happy endings to them. But there was, again, there's a one of the stories from um, Italy was from a, a father who wasn't allowed into the ward. And he talked about trying to support his, his, his birthing um, you know, partner um, via iPhone. So it was kind of iPhone um, messaging going on, but somebody just took the phone and put it in the corner of the room. So all he could see was the ceiling and hear her screaming and was obviously unable to do anything. So the trauma onto birth partners as well. Another father in that study talking about not being allowed in and the midwife um, trying to arrange a, a place where she brought the baby down to a fire door so he could hear his baby crying on the other side of the door, but he wasn't allowed in to see them. And it's just all these stories of separation and trauma without sometimes it, it being recognized. And a lot of the parents that I've spoken to, particularly over the last couple of months, since we said we were publishing COVID babies, was that just knowing that the book was out there and it was being recognized in this way was really helping them psychologically because they felt that because they were healthy and because they weren't personally at high risk of COVID and they could see these death rates and families being devastated in all sorts of other ways, that they shouldn't say anything and they shouldn't, as they say, complain. Of course, it's not complaining if you need mental health support, but they just felt that they 
they couldn't talk about it because they felt that people would say look you're healthy you know you're with your baby what what have you got to complain about but of course this impact we know how much birth trauma and postnatal depression can affect people for a very long time so unsurprisingly here this is just another study 43 percent of women in the study showed symptoms of post-traumatic stress after giving birth during the pandemic we know how devastating birth trauma can be and how long lasting it can be but we also know that this is probably a much much higher figure than we would usually expect to see it's from the anxiety it's from the separation it's from just the whole process of of pregnancy and birth and that postnatal period being nothing like you expected it to be and needing to go along with things because the restrictions were in place for a reason but also then how that impacts upon new parents and of course when you put restrictions in place they then also have a consequence so we know that the the home birth request rate went up at a rate where some trusts were told that they had to stop doing it because they didn't have enough staff they didn't have enough resources um, they were worried about going out to homes or being told that they couldn't do it. So then women who wanted a home birth, we then saw an increase in the rise of free birthing. So women deciding to give birth completely outside the system, in some cases because they were too scared. Um, they were too scared to go into the hospital because they were so anxious about catching um, COVID and, and being infected or they were so worried about their partner not being able to be with them or so worried about being stuck in the hospital in that way that they felt that free birthing was their safest choice. And we have to just think about how much stress these women must have been going through to feel that they just had to disengage with antenatal care to, for their perspective to feel safest. And of course, this is a this is an article, a very lovely article that was written by uh, Luciana in Glamour um, magazine that is now on online as a, a website, talking about the rise in postnatal depression. And of course, it is just so, so high rates and so, so strong at the moment with a lot of women really feeling that they cannot speak about it. Um, there has also been a study with fathers. There was only one I could find that, that was published and it was all with men. Um, but again, looking at their impact and the rise of depression rates amongst new fathers, often from the perspective that they saw much, so much trauma happen to their partner so they couldn't be with her and they couldn't support her in the way they really wanted to. And that having to, um, one of the fathers in that study talked about um, his wife having had an emergency cesarean section, she was completely traumatized and hysterical. And then the staff having to say, no, sorry, you've got to go home now, you can't stay. You have to leave your unwell baby, you have to leave your really traumatized wife and go home, we'll contact you. And just the wrench of that and the impact of that upon fathers as well, who are often really left out of this subject. But when we think about postnatal depression, the impact of the birth, but then also that impact of simply having the baby during the pandemic, that loss of the social support around you. I was talking about this this morning with some of my students that it was the way that everything just changed. So particularly for women at the start of the pandemic who were expecting to have a, a normal postnatal experience, 
suddenly everything changed for them so much in terms of their family couldn't come around to meet the baby. They couldn't go and meet new mum friends. It, you know, it was just so completely different experience for them. And it's all the small things as well as the big things. So all the small milestones that mean so much to different families. So the religious ceremonies and the traditions and the meeting up with people, the baby showers, the christenings, um, the come and meet my baby, it was all gone. And there was just no opportunity to do it apart from on Zoom, which just wasn't the same. I'm starting to lose my voice, I think. So thinking about that perspective, but then also that lack of support from a professional's perspective. So they couldn't have so many face-to-face -face visits. They were short. Um, they couldn't go along to the breastfeeding support group face-to-face. -face. And we know so much good stuff was done online, which really, really helped. But it was never the same as sitting next to another new mum who's absolutely exhausted and unfrazzled alongside you and just having that absolutely silent connection whilst you both drink tea and cuddle your baby. And this is um, very much so this is for the study that we did about breastfeeding right at the start of the pandemic, which really just summed up this and I should at this point emphasize that this wasn't an awful story for everybody I think we need to focus on getting the support for the, the parents who now need it but I think we also can learn from some of the experiences of those who actually had a, a slightly more positive time due to their circumstances so in our research with um, breastfeeding mothers we found that their experience often went one of two ways so they even found it really really challenging because they couldn't get the support they needed. They felt really isolated. They really just wanted their mum with them, who was a really big breastfeeding advocate. They were struggling perhaps with their partner being a frontline worker and out of the house all day and really stressed at work. And then you had the mums who were actually having a slightly more positive time because they had more time together as a family. They had more time to rest. They had more time to recuperate after the birth and focus on feeding. And they were able to access really good online support. But we knew within that that the divide was one of privilege, essentially. So those who are in the most protected circumstances to start with often had the most positive experiences. So they didn't have money worries and they had uh, um, lived in a lovely area and they could go out for nice walks and they had a supportive partner. And one of the big things, they had a really good Wi-Fi connection and, and lots of devices and they were more likely to be all right. And then it was the ones who were living in a small flat without a garden who couldn't access anything, who were having such a more difficult time. And I think that's one of the big things that the pandemic has showed us that there has been this real divide that has deepened a lot of the inequalities and the real different experience that a lot of us have had. And that was echoed in the Babies in Lockdown report, which is a brilliant report. And I urge anybody to go out and read it if they haven't. And they looked at the experiences of lots and lots of new parents during that first lockdown. And again, it echoes everything I've already said. Parents feeling really anxious, really worried, worried that their baby's behaviour was changing, that they were crying and clingier, not knowing where to get support. But also just this clear data that those in the more deprived circumstances 
were suffering even more. So they were finding it so much more difficult to navigate all of this. And then just to finish, of course, as I said at the beginning, it's not just parents who have been through this, it is those who have been supporting them as well. So you mentioned the March for Midwives and the Midwifery Staffing Crisis at the moment, it all feeds into the pandemic. And there have been several papers now published about the experiences of midwives trying to care for families through this. And one of the things that really struck me was how much so many of the midwives really suffered psychologically in having to care for these families in a different way. So they knew the evidence around what works best to care for families and they knew how they usually practiced. And then suddenly all that changed and there were all these restrictions put in place and they couldn't care for parents in the way they wanted to. And they were so distressed by that. They wanted to go and hug the mother. They wanted to be with her and close to her as she was giving birth and be able to comfort her. But instead they were told to stay away and to, you know, they just could not get in, in the same way. And of course the impacts of just not being able to, to care in that way, the exhaustion, the, you know, the staffing issues going on around you but also often being that frontline person who, had, who didn't make the rules and the restrictions and didn't necessarily agree with them, but had to tell the new parents. So it was the midwives who had to tell the new parents that no, I'm sorry, your partner can't come in. No, sorry, they can't be here at this scan. No, I know you've just had a cesarean section and you're really struggling, but no, your partner can't stay. The abuse that they got from some very, very stressed families, the misunderstanding, but just the one of the papers was referring to it as a moral injury because they weren't able to care in the same way. And very similar um, data came out of the Institute of Health visiting report during COVID. And of course, um, with this at the start of the first pan, uh, first lockdown, a lot of health visitors were redeployed. So a lot were redeployed into nursing posts and it left the remainder of the health visitors with such high caseloads. They had all these families that they were trying to support with fewer colleagues around them at a time where they could see families' needs just increasing and increasing. And I think it's in this report um, or in a, a similar one into health visitors' experiences that so many were seeing they could see a, um, a rise in domestic abuse, they were worried about baby development, baby health, they were worried about postnatal depression, and they had fewer resources and time to do it and weren't allowed into people's homes a lot of the time. So they were trying to do, you know, a postnatal depression check over the phone with a mother that they didn't know very well. And of course, the mother was hiding it because she didn't feel comfortable over the phone. And the health sisters knew that so much was being missed. And again, if they did go into a home, they weren't allowed to sit and be close and spend time just having a cup of tea with somebody and, you know, chatting about how they feel. So again, the impact there and the, the message from all of this is we need more investment to pick up the mess of what's happened. We need investment in the midwifery profession, in the health visiting profession, so that they can offer the care and support that so many new parents are now gonna need going forward so that we can support the birth trauma, so we can support the postnatal depression, so we can help families catch up with the, you know, just the baby classes and the having opportunity to get out the house and meet other babies and, and new parents. And, the Babies in Lockdown report, um, the 
these reports here. Um, it's gone through um, Parliament as well, just saying we must have this investment. It's absolutely critical because without it, we're just going to be in an even worse position several years down the line when, when none of this has been dealt with. So I'm aware I'm probably at half an hour there. Um, and just sorry, just to finish off, off with this one, I'm going to squeeze this one in because we have a whole chapter on vaccination and the mess that pregnant women were left in. Um, just as a whistle stop tour through it, right when the vaccinations first came out, pregnant women were told that they weren't allowed to have it, that it, it wouldn't be safe and they'd have to wait. And of course, that created real anxiety that it wasn't safe. It wasn't not safe, it was just that pregnant women hadn't been included in the trials and therefore they weren't recommending it at the time. So when the guidelines finally changed so pregnant women could be vaccinated, this anxiety just stayed. And our vaccination rates amongst pregnant women are continue to be so low. There continues to be so much misinformation. We had so many um, cases, and I believe some cases are still happening, where pregnant women have gone to be vaccinated and told that they're not allowed even though the guidelines clearly state that they did. We had the same issue with, with breastfeeding mothers as well, but it's resolved itself a little bit better, I think. So again, this is headline news at the moment, and we have to take it back to the step where we talk about concerns and we talk about anxieties and we talk about informed decisions and what's best for a family, because at the moment, it seems like some of the press are almost, and I'm not, I'm not referring to this article, but some of the other articles I saw, well, basically, again, blaming pregnant women. Why on earth haven't you been vaccinated? When, of course, so much anxiety was caused and so many barriers were put in their place. So I'm just going to leave you with this subtle image here of um, <laughs> this book that might be out next week, uh, available <laughs> from all good and bad bookshops <laughs> um, and myself on my website. <laughs> Fantastic, Amy. That's really fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, I mean, you always say whistle, whistle stop tour, but you do include such a, a wonderful overview of the whole situation. I think that's really helpful because as I said uh, earlier when I was introducing you, I think it's quite easy to forget certain things like forgetting. And I think you've highlighted mm. that brilliantly with the, the vaccination for women because it was, people were told pregnant women shouldn't have it. And I think that's stuck in people's brains and not just, not just midwives, mm -hmm. but also quite a lot of people who are doing the vaccinations because you know, they, it does stick, people remember things. Um, and I think if, if the audience are um, interested, there's a, a really good clip, and there's been several clips, haven't there, from the Department of Health from, Chris Whitty and Jonathan Van Tam talking about the, the risks to pregnant women. Yeah. And it's quite clear that women should have the, the immunization, uh, but they need to, to be kind of given that information and given support because you have to kind of unpick all the stuff that was there before, which is what you've highlighted brilliantly, Amy. And it, it still continues to be such mixed messages because pregnant women still haven't been included on the vulnerable list for having their booster yeah. vaccinations if they've they've had the other two. Pregnant yeah. and then screwed, we're talking about this this week. I saw an, yeah. a, a, some posts from them. It's just, <laughs> it, yeah, there's no wonder people are so anxious and, and confused about what to do. Mm. 
Yeah, and that, I mean, that includes some of us as professionals as well. We need to be very clued up, but there's lots of information and it's quite manageable because <laughs> there's a lot of little video clips that make it very clear. And there's also a, a very good infographic from Embrace, which highlights the risks to pregnant women of not being vaccinated. So do access that. That's on the resources sheet. So thank you very much for that, Amy. Now, for those of you who are standing there or sitting there, do throw in some questions because we've got some time for questions. Um, and if you're joining us now, this is the Maternity Midwifery Hour with me, Sue McDonald, and the lovely Professor Amy Brown, ready to take your questions. Now, I have a first question from Liz Tyler. Oh, this is this is addressed to me because I'm talking about a book and she thinks it might be Sarah Wickham's book. Well, it's not, I'm afraid. I'm sure it will be next week. But at the moment, it's called Within the Pregnant Pause by Dr. Amali Lokugamage that one because it's very it's very beautiful <laughs> it's very beautiful and I think it's going to be a, a sort of gentle reflective book for, for now but I'll, I'll have a look at Sarah Wilkins book right on to so thank you Liz for that alert um, and then we have Joe D'Agustin hi Joe who says thank you for this great overview I've seen there's a lively discussion still ongoing this week re-restrictions in South Wales hospitals which Amy I'm sure will know about not too far away from you. How do academic staff in local universities and schools of midwifery engage in this issue where there's so much evidence that should be brought to bear in operational decisions and little headspace in the ops teams to make such decisions? And she continues, as a service user, I guess I expect the local academy to be involved in scrutinizing local service delivery and helping this to be good as possible in line with the evidence. Does this happen in practice? Did more of it happen at the height of the pandemic? Crikey, I think that, Joe, that's about four questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, research plays a really, really important role in this. Mm. And that is one of the reasons that I wrote COVID Babies was to try and bring it all into one place mm. um, in, a, in a way that can be used as to say, look, there's so much evidence here and we have so much evidence and I don't know why it's not reaching those who are putting the restrictions in place mm. um, and again I, you know it's, it's very difficult for me to comment on restrictions because and their necessity because I'm, I'm not a public health doctor but we have a, so much evidence that shows the the impact of all of this mm. um, alongside we must you know we just need to get the evidence so that both sides can be seen because I think with a lot of this they are only seeing the one side of COVID without seeing that, you know, mental health and birth trauma and mother and infant bonding and breastfeeding and all of that that can be affected by restrictions really matters too. Mm. And I think it's just carrying on emphasising that in a evidence-based way because there's so much evidence there to support it now. Maybe I can send them a copy of the book daily. Maybe. <laughs> We can certainly need to circulate it around. I mean, it's quite, I think it's the sort of all these issues about the mental health and the bonding, which you've expressed so well, that people do need to know about because it's not a, it's not something that's going to get better magically. Someone needs to, there needs to be interventions within, doesn't there? And restrictions need to be evidence-based is yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Rather than blanket 
one-sided restrictions. Okay, thank you for that. I hope that answers your questions, Joe. Bit saucy with four questions, I think. <laughs> and then we have Liz Tyler who's saying, I was shocked to read a report that said there are more midwives suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder than in the forces. As a midwife and a veteran and a PTSD sufferer, I'm very concerned about this. I think we might have to, to have another session on that, actually. That's a, it's a, it is a, a worrying um, piece of information that seems to be gathering some pace, doesn't it? And it, it really, from the research that I've read around the issue about midwives' experiences during COVID mm. and caring for families, I'm not surprised, particularly because we think of who goes into the midwifery profession, tend mm. to have very high empathy and desire mm. to care and support as it is so this this paper that was talking about it being a moral injury that they weren't allowed to care in the way they wanted to or had to put in place restrictions that they actually felt were causing harm mm. the impact upon the, mm. the midwives in terms of trauma I'm, I'm really not surprised and you know that's on top of all the long hours and the exhaustion and colleagues being off sick and all of that mm. you know it, it comes at a time when midwives will already burnt out so mm. you have to deal with such trauma when you're already at the end of your tether with mm. it it's just I'm not surprised and it's such a long time because I always think about sort of intensive care staff for example mm. who could cope with you know three four months of, of really difficult times but it's gone on and on and on and it will do for a time so it's all the way through the health service so that is a really Great point. Thank you for that. Now, we've got Anne-Marie Rennie. Hi, Anne-Marie, who says a healthy immune system is crucial now more than ever. When, bottle, when will bottle milk be forced to report on their products, the effects of their use? So women get information about risks associated with, with their risk, with their use. Sorry. Mixed messages are frustrating. So this is sort of the... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that, really, Anne-Marie. I think everything I don't needs know. to be supported by research that is independent, that is free from a company, that allows families to make evidence-based informed decisions that are right for them. They're beautifully put, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we've now got Aileen Kennedy. Hi, Aileen. And she says, thanks for a great talk. Any suggestion how we can support these women who've had so much trauma in pregnancy and postnatally and that's a fantastic question and a huge we'll need a huge answer because this is going to be very complex Amy. I, I think there are there are a few different stages to this there are getting the women who need the professional support the professional support they need so I think there is going to be a big need for um, psychologists and um, counselling services to have almost COVID-informed trauma care mm -hmm. going forward for, for families. But a big part of it is just giving families opportunity to speak about it because so many of the families that I've spoken to have said that they've been really worried about speaking out, that, as mm -hmm. I said in the talk, that they felt like they couldn't complain. And this was the first time when I was doing some social media posts that they'd seen it all written down about what had actually happened to them. I just felt so validated by it and able to talk to other mothers who have been through the same thing and for them all to openly say, 
it was awful. I felt so traumatized by by it without anybody judging them. Mm-hmm. So it's about, and I think uh, saying this in in the Glamour magazine article that some women and families are really saying that they feel like they've been gaslit in a way that they've been told that their experience wasn't that bad, you know, in in context, in the hierarchy of grief, which we know is a a load of nonsense that people have, you know, all different sorts of traumatic situations that affect them in different ways. Just because somebody else has a really traumatic situation doesn't make your traumatic situation any less. Um, they just kind of felt that it, they were told that it didn't matter. And again, it was almost like, you know, the healthy baby is all that matters. Who cares about your birth experience? Your baby's healthy. Or look, your baby's fed. Why do you care that you couldn't breast, breastfeed? It's the same narrative again, used to kind of keep women down and stop them talking about it. And I think a really important part is that we give opportunity to women to talk freely about it and just recognize and say this has been really really difficult because I think that actually helps just to have someone say wow you did so well to get through all of this oh gosh it was so awful and I'm so sorry you've had to deal with all of this and it's just validating what they've been through to some extent but on a more formal level there have been lots of calls now which I wish I had a book in front of me to be able to read out from it um because I collated it all in the back of there about all the different services that have been calling for more support but certainly in the Institute of Health Visiting and the Royal College of Midwives and um, lots of the campaigns are saying look we have to have investment in the services because if we don't have it now this problem is going to get worse mm-hmm. so it's about letting parents talk finding them the support they need but also carrying on pushing for this investment um, to come to to pick up some of this trauma and depression and and let families move forward Mm. because you know some of the parents I've talked to they had a baby right at the start of the first lockdown and it's almost like they have well they do they have an 18 months going on for two-year-old now Mm. who's never really known normal life Mm. so they've never been to a baby group or they've they've never seen extended family or Mm. we have to recognize the the huge impact and invest in the services that let them come back into normal life essentially Mm. Mm. yeah and it might mean i mean for for pregnant women or the women who are who we interact with it may be that when you're booking them for their next pregnancy that's when you're going to pick up that nobody's actually had the opportunity to talk yeah. and that might be the time when the midwife is picking it up and getting the le- the woman referred and, and the family and the family it's a family thing very yeah. much and a, a, a few women have said to me that you know they they feel kind of one or two ways about having another baby that some are so traumatized by their experience that they just they can't think about having a another baby now because they can't bear to go through that again if we had more lockdowns or similar that they just couldn't do it so they're not going to have another baby yeah. although quite a common reaction is some women saying that they were actually thinking about having another baby when they hadn't originally planned it because they just wanted to experience everything being normal yeah. so they those you know those those traditions and that experience of being cared for around birth and showing your baby off your newborn baby off to family and I'm you know 
children obviously forever but you know that <laughs> newborn baby <laughs> puppy for Christmas um, but that, that newborn baby is just something really special isn't it that tiny little bundle being able to show and so many people missed that because their baby was so much bigger by the time they met family and so the, the kind of pull of that was so strong that people were thinking of having more children because of it just to experience yeah. it yeah gosh that's amazing isn't it and we have I'm going to come now for a, a mum this is a comment from Eleanor Owen hi Eleanor thanks for joining us and she says I'm a Covid mum of a Covid baby and can identify with so much of what Amy has said that's lovely postnatal I struggled with such tough restrictions and isolation I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and given antidepressants straight away but looking back I feel so much was circumstantial around Covid trauma i've received both excellent and poor care during my whole maternity service i hope more excellent than poor um i'm breastfeeding now 14 months on whoa fantastic and so pleased i could persevere after lack of any in-person support and i feel it helped ease my guilt of feeling negatively towards my baby Anyway, thank you, Amy, for all your social media posts and links, which have helped me so much. So, oh, big thanks for Amy. Well done. Um, and we have one more question. I think I can just squeeze in from Lauren Christie. And the reason, sorry, audience, I'm I'm looking away at my other screen at the questions coming in. Sorry, I must look very, very dodgy, like some politician or something. Um, Lauren Christie says, has there been any study around the effect of COVID on the method of delivery, i.e. has the COVID pandemic increased, decreased the rate of instrumental delivery, failed feedback, cesarean, etc.? cetera? Uh, so that's, that's a little bit complicated because there are different studies from different parts of the world. So then you don't know what the actual rate was in the first place. One of the, the big things is that there has been an increase in premature births. One reason being that a lot of um, pregnant women who were COVID positive were then induced early to deliver the baby early. So it wasn't so much that something was um, wrong with or the baby was at risk, but it was for the mum's sake. Um, so you have premature birth there, which were often then cesarean sections um, or inductions because of that. Um, the, the rest of the literature is a little bit mixed. Um, I think some studies are showing an increase in, in cesarean section. And, you know, you would expect in a stressful environment for there to be an increase there. Um, there were some cases that were highlighted at the beginning of the, the pandemic that there was an increase in the how many women were asking for elective cesareans because they then knew that their partner could be with them all the way through. Mm. So particularly when they'd had a previous birth trauma and they just couldn't imagine going into that hospital without their partner, that it, it was just so overriding that they needed their partner with them. And that was one way to, to get that. So it's, it's a really complex situation. Mm. And I think when they, they're going to see, we see longer data to really under, understand mm. all the impacts there. You know, so there's some, there's some quite complex, certainly from the UK, because in some parts of the country, the home birth rate went up. Yes. Which so so it'll be interesting to see the data in the future. Yes. And thank you for highlighting that for us, Amy. And you've been fantastic. So a big thank you to Amy for joining us this evening because it's been fab as ever. 
and the time has just gone by never mind an extra half an uh, and <laughs> a half an hour it's gone very very quickly i could listen to amy forever actually and and we'll have to have her back we will have her back definitely now remember the resources are available on the website and on facebook on friday uh, next week we've got because we've got the edinburgh festival and i know many of you will be joining us so i hope i hope to see some of you there um, there'll be some edited highlights in the evening rather than a, a, another hour. And I'm just going to, to remind you to book, if you haven't booked, for the two-day global midwifery conference with All Four Maternity and Walida, um, the Scottish Maternity and Midwifery Festival on the 23rd, which is next week. Remember, it's all free. It's fantastic. It's got, we've got a lovely programme for you. And then the London Maternity and Midwifery Festival, and I can't remember, I believe I'm saying this, the 18th of January, 2022. How can it be 2022 already? Anyway, I'd just say another thank you to our lovely Amy for joining us this evening, giving us so much food for thought and another one of her wonderful books. And I'm just throwing this one up. People are asking about these books, but there's the COVID babies coming which is going to be really hot on, on the COVID issue, on the whole complex issue for you. And so in the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and look after yourselves and your loved ones, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.